Acts chapter 17. We are making our way through this amazing book. You know, we've seen the the birth of the church in the early part of of Acts where the first Holy Spirit-filled message was preached by Peter and 3,000 was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Shortly after, 5,000 people come to faith in Solomon's Solomon's porch. So the church is is coming alive. They begin to go to the surrounding areas. We've showed the... the, um, graphic before where where all throughout Samaria the gospel was preached then beginning all the way up into Asia the beginning of the church and and we know that that it didn't stop there as I shared a couple weeks ago by 351 a around 350 AD 51% of the Roman Empire was Christian we know that Christianity is is in every nation every people group just about Uh, in fact there's there's just a, a number of tribes left to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Less than 500 tribes left uh, until every you know, people, nation, and tribe has heard the gospel. And there's a group of people that are taking off the tribes. I believe 75 tribes were reached last year. And so, I mean, it is coming down. And, you know, and that has to happen before Jesus Christ returns. And so the gospel continues to expand is we're in the in the last chapters we're seeing miracles we're seeing individual people come up we've met some some people last week timothy and so these are i i I hope you're reading and reading slow um and digesting the information not just looking for the words but trying to get a sense of what was happening in the book of acts um you know, thinking about, look, what, help me to see it uh, in real time and, and let God download a, a video of it, if, if you would, you, you could, where you could even like smell the smells and hear the sounds as they're preaching the gospel. And it doesn't happen when you go fast and just read chapter after chapter. Typically on any given week, I'll read the chapter that we're on about 15 to 20 times. Um, just to really soak it in, and I'll read commentaries and slow it down. Uh, often, like in, in this, this case, that we're in Thessalonica, so I'll go to Thessalonians and read the letters to the Thessalonians to see the things that were happening in the churches to, to get an understanding of, of why it was written and what was happening at the time. Now, so we've got Paul's missionary journey. He's, um, we're we're going to hit just a little bit here um, at the beginning of chapter 17 Paul's in Thessalonica and it, it, we keep finding every time Paul's just persecuted the, they, they, some people hear the message but then other people kind of rise up and that's what happened in Thessalonica or Thessalonica he's preaching the gospel and some of the Jews get jealous because um, people are turning towards the way and away from their teaching. And so because of that jealousy, they stir up everything, and they, uh, Paul leaves and he goes to the next place called Berea. And some of you have uh, been around long enough to remember the Berean bookstores. Berea, Berea was a place um, that says that the, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalon- Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see what Paul, if what Paul said was the truth. And so, so Paul goes to Berea, um, but, but the uh, Thessalonians find out that Paul's in Berea, so they go there to stir up trouble for him there. Does that ever feel like you? Like you go one place and you have trouble, you go somewhere else, and then somebody comes and says, here, I want to give you trouble over there. Anyways, that sometimes is, is what's happening. But I want to focus in on, on this next place. So afterwards... 
Paul goes to wait for the other disciples in, in Athens, in Greece. And so now the, the, the gospel is beginning to go to Athens. He wasn't going to do much preaching there, but it says that while he was waiting, let me come here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oops. Now, uh, verse 16, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. This is where we're going to hang out tonight. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. He goes on, there were certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They encountered him and they said, who, what does this babbler want? And others said, he seems to be proclaiming foreign gods. And so he just, he just keeps bringing the gospel. But the, the part that st- stands out this morning is that as he was waiting in Athens, his spirit was provoked. And that's probably the best translation of that word. He was stirred up. Um, it didn't say he had necessarily had compassion, but, but he was, was stirred up or he was provoked. I thought, well, what, is, what does that mean? What's happening here? Well, let's go to the why. Because of the many idols there, some of your translations say because of the idolatrous ways of the people. So remember, Paul is, believes in the one true God. Throughout this area, there's a lot of pantheism, and um, it's not, most of the cultures aren't monotheistic other than the Jewish culture. And he's dealt with some of this before, but he's really provoked at the idolatry happening. And so he goes in and he yells and cusses and speaks very poorly of them. And it doesn't. He goes and he reasons with them. And I was thinking, you know, so, so uh, the, the first question is, are we ever provoked for the things of God? And f- you know, are you provoked over the things of God? When you see idolatry, when you see things happening, are you provoked? And the, the part of the question is, well, what, what was he provoked over? Was he angry at them? Was he angry at, at the devil? Was he sad? What, what, what was going on? And I think there was a combination of things. Jesus himself was angry when he went to the temple and he saw the money changers. Do you remember you know, Jesus wasn't just a mamby-pamby wimp. He took a cord and he drove out the money changers from the temple and he flipped over their money changer tables. That is anger. But it was a righteous anger. And he was provoked inside of him. But as I was reading this over and thinking about it, I, I realized that every instance that I can think of uh, where there was anger towards the people the people were God-fearing. They were not the unsaved and the uh, idolaters and the adulterers. They were those that were connected to God because they should know better. Even though Paul was provoked here, he goes in and he reasons with them because he wants to reach out to them. He wants these uh, pantheistic, idolatrous people to come to faith in Christ. That needs to be the response of the church. Too often, we, we don't get angry at sin within the camp, but we get angry at the sin outside. 
And, and really, we need to be understanding that those that don't know Christ are lost. It doesn't matter their sin. It doesn't matter that they're idolatrous, idol worshipers. It doesn't matter that they're, uh, you know, uh, fornicators or drunkards or homosexuals or bank robbers or murders. In a sense, those things don't matter because they don't have Christ anyways. In fact, if somebody outside who doesn't know Christ, who's a murderer, stops murdering, he still goes to hell. If, uh, if a homosexual who doesn't know Christ stops being a homosexual but still doesn't know Christ, they still go to hell because it's not that sin that's sending them to hell it's the fact that they have no relationship with Jesus that their sins are not forgiven and so we don't need to be angry at these people but I believe even as Jesus in I believe is Mark chapter 6 uh, he, he came up and he had compassion on all the people. It said in chapter 6, verse 34. He says, because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. See, the world, uh, those that don't know Christ, they're lost. Now, many of them don't know that they're lost. They would disagree that they're lost, but they're lost. And we need to have that heart of compassion that would go to them and try to reason with them as Paul does. And there's other ways that we need to reach the lost, but it comes, it needs to come with compassion. Now, we need to get angry, I think, at a lot of things. And we can get angry at sin. We can get angry at immorality. But I believe that we need to be careful when we're angry at a people group for their sin because they're lost. And we need to understand that we live in a spiritual realm and that the enemy is behind so much of the things that we're experiencing in this world today. And the enemy is getting into the church. He's all over and he's provoking us to wrath. He's provoking us to depression. Um, you know, turn off the TV, get off social media. If it's causing discouragement to you, if you're wondering what the heck is going on in this, this, this world, in this nation, turn it off and look to the Lord because the enemy wants to come in and he wants to get us discouraged and depressed and worried yeah, I think I said it last week, you know, God is not for Trump. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, he is. <laughs> right there, you're already. Do you remember when Joshua, we went through the book of Joshua a couple years ago, when Joshua was just before going into the, to take the land, he went off by himself, and the captain of the Lord's host appeared before Joshua. And here Joshua is without his men, and he sees this amazing captain of the, the, the host of the Lord, which I believe was Jesus himself. We covered that. But, and Joshua said, are you for us or for our enemies? Right? Isn't that the question we all want to Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And his answer was great. He said, No. Do you want A or B? No. Ah. There wasn't a third option that Joshua gave him. But Jesus said, you don't even get it. I'm not for you or for your enemies. You need to be for me. God is not for Trump. Will he use whoever's elected? Absolutely. 
He used Cyrus. <laughs> you know, the horrible kings. He used Nebuchadnezzar. He uses anyone who's in power. Sometimes he uses them to, to bring correction to his children. But God is not for anyone. We need to be for God. And, and so, boy, that was... Whew, now I have to get back to the, the message. That was an extra. So Paul is provoked, and he, but his heart of compassion goes in and he wants to help the people understand, listen, you're lost. You're in idolatry, and I want to show you the one true God. Verse 23 says, I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing. And and the inscription said to the unknown God. He says, so therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And then he begins to go on and talk about this God. We need to be more sensitive to the Lord. So that when we're waiting at Stater Brothers, we're doing whatever we're doing, God can move upon us and we can be provoked. When's the last time you were provoked? I don't mean because somebody cut you off driving. That happened to half of you on the way to church. By the way, Chase, did you go down the hill on Friday afternoon? You did. You know that little Mazda, green Mazda that was right in front of you? Right at the bottom, Memento. You followed me down for quite a ways on that passing lane. Yeah, yeah, you, you tailgate. <laughs> I, I, I was looking in the mirror going, that, that looks like it might be Chase. So I used my voice dial, call Chase, and it didn't work. I was going to call him and say, but what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you drive, you get, you get provoked by the guy going too slow in front of you, by the guy cutting you off. Not that I'm talking about provoked. I'm talking about does your spirit ever get provoked, stirred up over people going to hell, over sin? And I'm not just saying, yeah, they're jerks. Because that's sometimes the reaction that we get when we see the immorality or things that aren't going according. And we, we maybe get the right stirring, but then our response is wrong. Paul's response was stirred up, so he goes in, even though he's just supposed to be waiting for the other guys to join him. And here he is in Athens. Do you remember Athens? Greece? You know Zeus? This is their home. Of course they're going to be... I, I mean, it's kind of like going to Hollywood and being surprised that there's immorality. <laughs> and he goes in to try to tell them about God. And he says, the God that, the, the unknown God, I want to tell them about. I want to tell you about him. He is the one. And then he goes on and does this great discourse. Read it. Reread it. And he says, he created everything, including you. And he says, and he cannot be served by human hands and no hands could build a house for him. Well, that's what they did. They'd build altars and houses for these gods. So he's going in and he's, and he's, he's telling them the truth, but he's meddling with the way they live their lives. But he's bringing truth. He's a truth bringer in the moment. We need to have our hearts stirred up 
and provoked. We need to then hear from God and have a plan of action to respond to it. What is our response to God? What is our response to him and to the things that he wants us to do? Because I believe that love is an action. And I believe faith is an action. In fact, doesn't Paul say faith without works is dead? So faith is an action word. Love is an action word. All of you who've ever been in a relationship who are married, you know, if you've had those moments where somebody says, I love you, and you said, you say that, but I don't see it. I need to see your love. We understand this naturally. You know, if our kids say, you know, well, you know, mom, I love you, dad, I love you, say, well, then how come you didn't take out the trash like I told you to? Over and over again. Because at some point, your words are, are empty to me if you won't be obedient, if you won't do the things that we need, right? This is, we understand that love is an action. So as, as Christians, our love for God and our love for one another and our love for the lost and God's love for the lost needs to come into action and our faith needs to come into action. Go to 1 Timothy with me. Now remember, Timothy is now hanging out with Paul and um, he becomes one who Paul appoints to, to set up churches and appoint pastors to the churches. And so when Paul's writing to Timothy, he's writing, the, they're, they're called the pastoral letters because uh, Timothy is a pastor. Chapter 5, he's talking about how to do different things in the church, treatment of church members. But I want to focus in, I think I'm in the wrong book. And I hate, oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 5. That sounds better. 5 and 6. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some having strayed, having turned aside to idle talk. Another translation says we need to have love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, and some have turned to meaningless talk. I thought, that sounds like the temptation that we all face is to talk about it and do nothing. I saw this, this really quite funny uh, pie chart the other day, and it said, um, it was, you blew for, for, for uh, um, those who... Uh, hear another argument for a different candidate and change their mind and read for those who hear the argument and don't change your mind. And it was all read because the truth is, is everyone's hearing all the arguments, but it's not swaying you one bit. For the most part, we're just, we're doing nothing. We're, we're reading articles, we're watching news, we're doing things. Don't go to any other, any other subject you want, but we've made up our minds. So all of the rhetoric out there of, well, Clinton's doing this and Trump is doing that, that's not changing anyone's mind. So it's turning into meaningless talk. What about us with Christ? Well, I think the rapture is pre-trib. That's post-trib. We're going to argue about that, not change our minds, and it becomes meaningless. Well, I think homosexuals can be saved. I think homosexuals can't be saved. And we're going to do nothing. We're just going to argue. 
where but God wants us to respond he doesn't want us to be an idle talk meaningless talk he wants us to be provoked in a godly way like Jesus was like Paul was and then to go and to accomplish the mission that he has and that's to reach the lost the Bible says that the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost it also says that he came to bring the kingdom of God to us now we if as a Christian you are part of the kingdom of God that means wherever you go in life you bring the kingdom of God with you wow you are the representation of the kingdom of God God wanted now hear this God wanted uh, he sent Jesus to reach the lost and, and to, he wanted the whole world to know him and so Jesus said what I'm going to do is I am going to die for their sin and go to heaven and help them to understand I'm going to live in them my believers and they are going to become my body now we always say oh yeah we, we, we use the term all the time we're part of the body of Christ but think of yourself as the actual body of Jesus walking into your work walking into the store walking into the bar walking into other places maybe you shouldn't be because you are the body of Christ he wants to bring his body and the kingdom to the world because the world is lost and dying but they don't know it they're like the, the Greeks the Athenians they had Zeus and Apollos and Hermes and they got Mount Olympus and they've got all these wonderful beliefs and they're doing what they do and Paul comes and says listen that unknown God I'm going to tell him he is the one who created everything and he can't be served by human hands and he shares the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ can we do that in our lives can you do that in your life the body of Christ is now all over the world. The body of Christ is all over Big Bear. Throughout every neighborhood. You know, in times past, we've drawn up maps and, and mapped areas where the, just our church lives. And if you added all the other churches in Big Bear, we are in every area, in every neighborhood. But are we being provoked, stirred up, and are we doing anything more than idle talk? Now, here's what the enemy wants to do right now. He wants to make you feel uncomfortable and defend yourself. That's what I guess that's, that's what I want to do. I want to start, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, stop. Just, just stop. It's okay to, to let God talk to you and and to lead you because if we get too defensive too early we'll stop what God wants to do so this is about me thinking someone you know, you're not doing enough for the kingdom of God this is about whether you are being faithful to what you hear God doing if your heart's closed off that's between you and God 
And, 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 you know, the truth is, at some points, all of our hearts are closed off. There's parts of the day that we just, we don't want to hear from God. So what I'm saying, let's, let's press into him and say, God, I want to be provoked. But I want to be provoked in a good way. I want you to stir me up. And I want to accomplish what you have for me, even if it is difficult, which that goes to another part. So God, help me to have the courage to do it if it's difficult. Provoke me to be your body wherever I go. Provoke me to talk about the creator of the universe to those that don't know who that is. Cause me to to not just talk to my friends or even talk to the unsaved and debate, but have love with action and faith with action. Now, it's not always as glorious as, as some people would make it sound. And you know that it's not. Sometimes when you're faithful to God and you share your faith or you love somebody, you, you get ridiculed or you lose a friend or, you know, you know, Paul was chased out of towns and beaten so many times. But we just, we, we, keep, we keep doing it out of a clear conscience, out of love for the Lord and a pure heart. I love that, what it said in Timothy. Out of love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And we're not like those who just have meaningless talk. Mm. At the end of his exchange, they said, it says in verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, because he brought it all that, that there's resurrection life, some mocked him while others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. And, and it says, Paul departed from among them. But however, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You know, the, as we share our faith, as we, as we love people, as we bring a message of hope. See, see he, he didn't just talk about the God of the universe he, he started with the God of the universe and he brought it to the one who died for their sin and rose again. But the truth is only a few people believed. And sometimes that's the hard part. You know, it's your work. You, you might have 15 people that you work with and maybe you've been sharing your faith and it gets really discouraging. Well, it, you know, their salvation is between them and God. But we see that often only a few of the people believed. But those that believe, we grab a hold of and help to grow in the Lord and help them to become people who also aren't just idle talkers, that who love from a pure heart and have faith, and we can begin to change the world. Have, has any of you ever done the math on, on like, you know, uh, doubling numbers? You know, anyone who's ever gone to Vegas went, well, if I let it ride, how long before I'm a millionaire? <laughs> 20 rolls of the dice. If you put a dollar down in 20 rolls, you have a million dollars. Let's just put, well, let's put that in another way. 
If I share my faith with somebody and they become a Christian, and then, and let's say we do this in, in uh, six months. And so then in six months, he and I both go out and share our faith, lead somebody to Christ, and disciple them. So at the end of the, the year, now we've got four. In 10 years, there'll be a million people. From there, it's seven more years, and there's eight billion believers. <laughs> it goes fast. So it's okay if you're sharing your faith with 10 people and only one person receives it. Grab that person, love them, disciple them, teach them to do the same thing. And we actually could make a difference in this, in this world. But first we have to be stirred up. And we have to have a better response than we've had. Anger, hopelessness, judgment, self-righteousness. So that's something else, that's another one of our responses that God wants to get rid of. We see sin and we just feel good about ourselves. Instead of stirred up to say, you know, I want to help you find your way. Stir up. Respond to him. And be bold and become those who will be willing to share our faith and just live the life. And there's so many ways to share your faith. You don't have to be like, you don't have to do it the way Paul does. I, I should have said that. You don't have to go into some other cult church and tell them that they're wrong. Thank God. <laughs> All right? All right? I mean, you're thinking, oh, man, do I have to go to the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall? You got it wrong. Some of you, God might call to that kind of a, uh, kind of a life. Praise God for that. Timothy, who was a pastor... See, th there's the fivefold ministry, um, and it says God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are equipping of the saints so that everyone does the work of the ministry. Now, uh, Timothy was a pastor, but, but Paul told him to do the work of the evangelist. Jesus told all of his disciples to go in and, and preach the gospel, so Though there's people that are, have a, a, a real gift of a calling of an evangelist, I'm going to ask, does anyone feel like, an, does anyone feel like you know, I, I, I think I'm an evangelist. Just, your heart is always stirred up for the lost and you want to talk to people about God. You don't even have to be successful because that could, that, 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 there's a difference. But does anyone, would anyone be so, you know, just so, you know what, I have a heart for the lost and I just want to talk to people about God. Is anyone in here? Bethany. Brian, some of you think, you know, if I've raised my hand, what does that mean? Is it, I'm not going to make you do anything. <laughs> I'm not signing up for a new ministry here. You know, just, you, I've never felt like an evangelist, though, though I have been out on the streets, you know, a lot, and I've done a lot of street ministry, and I've gone door to door, and I've shared my faith on, on you know, on a lot of, but I've never considered myself an evangelist. But, but so Timothy was a pastor, 
But he said, uh, Paul says, but you need to do the work of an evangelist. So we're all, we're all in this. You might have other gifts, but we're all called to do it. So people like Brian will probably have no problem walking up to people and going on a door and just say, hey, I just want to come and tell you about Jesus. You know, I mean, I, th- that's always fun to just walk up to somebody on the street and just say, hey, do you have a minute? Well, yeah, you know, I'd just like to tell you about the love of Jesus. But for you, because maybe you're not uh, bold, maybe you're an introvert, that, that might just be looking for the opportunity of somebody you know, a family member, a friend, who, who you've prayed and says, God, stir up my heart that I might see people who are lost the way you see them. Provoke my heart, God, like you provoked Paul, and then give me the courage to respond to it the way you did to Paul. And maybe you'll find yourself praying for a coworker, a, f- a family member who needs, who needs support and love, but they need Jesus too. We need, to, we need to help them find Jesus, not just earthly hope and care. I think if we can learn to just allow that provoking, that stirring up of our hearts, and out of love and a good conscience and pure faith, stop the endless idle talking and let love and faith have action. We'll see a difference in our families, in this community. Who wants to see that? I do. Come January, somebody new is going to be sitting in the White House. But my neighborhood at Skyview is not going to be affected in January by whoever's sitting in that office. I mean, d- d- isn't that true? What, what's going to change in the city of Big Bear Lake on the day after the inauguration of the new president? Nothing. The truth, nothing. Not in one day. But what would change in our community and my community in Lake Williams or your community in Irwin Lake or in the city of Big Bear Lake if his people, his body, started living like his body? I think we'd have less crime immediately. I think we'd have less uh, violence immediately because his body would be touching so many people. We're a, we're a relatively small group, 70 of us maybe in here this morning. But what if we and, and the other believers in this, in this town began to live like believers? Well, I'll tell you what. If just you start living like the body of Christ in your home, things will change. Maybe there'll be less anger. There'll be more hope. If you do it in your workplace, you'll just cause something different. Let's stand. The church will expand. The kingdom of God is here and will continue to go forth and and it does in and through us as believers. Heavenly Father, my prayer for each and every one of us, and I am so included in this, provoke my heart. Provoke me to good works. Provoke me to love, to purity. 
provoke me, stir up my heart to see the lost in a new light, in a different light. God, and then give me a better response. Give me a response. Give us a response that would say yes, that would hear your voice and and be willing to go into the places and be a, a witness for you to be the body of Christ, the literal body of Christ to my friends, family, and neighbors, and workplace. God, you are the hope of the world. So many people have no hope, but they're looking in all the wrong places. Give us compassion as Jesus had. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep left to themselves will get devoured. They'll get stuck in a rock. Give us compassion. Stir us up and provoke us that we might might respond better to you. God, that the kingdom of God would be established and expanded everywhere we go. Lord, that our life groups would be empowered and full of the Holy Spirit and love for you and that none of our groups would be those that just come in and philosophize and have endless, meaningless talk. But they would provoke one another to live for you, to grow in you, to, to be the kingdom of God in all the places that we travel, the body of Christ. God, because we want to see our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors come to faith, come to Christ and have their lives forever changed. So provoke us and give us the right responses in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.